We're so glad to welcome you into our home. We're here to study God's Word together, and this is going to be our new normal for the time being, where we all get to dig into God's truth about life, and we still get to do it together, and so we, we thank God for that. I know being stuck here in our homes for five weeks has been very taxing for some of you in particular. For a number of you, there's been a, a loss of job, a, a furlough, or even a cut in pay. And that's been very, very difficult to navigate through. Many prayers are being offered on your behalf. I, I want you to know that each and every day. And lots of voices have been offering us answers. Some have very good information and really good advice. Uh, but I've even noticed that there are those who are attempting to relate our current circumstances today to, to biblical prophecies about the coming tribulation period. Uh, that happens. It happens whenever a crisis occurs, but I would caution that it's worth being sober-minded. It's worth being constantly aware that the current order of things in this world is not a permanent situation or even solution. Most are trying to answer obvious questions. Why? Why is this happening? There's been a lot of casting of blame. There's been a lot of deflecting of responsibility because that's what we do as, as humans. But what I'd like us to do today, and every time we meet together to study God's Word, is to take the higher ground, to receive from God's Word, and then to give back according to what we have received so that we can be a more calming, uplifting, life-giving influence to everyone that is around us. Here's the thing, with any crisis point in our lives, we, we get humbled. Even the most self-reliant, the most on top of their game individual has to be brought down by the truth of things. And the truth is that anything we may have been putting our trust in, our hope in, our, our joy in, our contentment in, other than God, will melt away like a morning mist. At some point, that will happen. And it's a sobering reminder for all of us of where do we turn? In whom do we place our hope and our trust? And, and as a Christian, as, as a child of God, as, as a recipient of eternal life by, by God's grace through faith in the death of God's Son, I believe these reminders, like the one we're in the middle of right now, should always drive us to prayer. And I realize that many of you listening, you already believe this. And you've been going to prayer often over the last month or two. But some in the news media, and I've seen many on social media, scoff at prayer. They say, come on, is that all you can do? You know, it's just an excuse. That's what, that's what prayer is. It's, it's an excuse to look interested, but then you do nothing of substance about it. Well, over the next two weeks, we're going to seek to answer what's the use in praying when life is so hard? And what should I say when I do pray? And to help us filter the answer to these perplexing questions, we as always go to the absolute source of the truth, and those are the very words of God. And we find those in John chapter 17. And we're going to be going there to the actual source of real life, eternal life, Jesus Christ our Lord. His words are in John uh, chapter 17, and they're, they're simple enough and they're direct enough, but the truths there that we are going to discover are really beyond our finite comprehension. 
But we're going to do our best to learn from Jesus' prayer to his father right before his arrest and the horror that he knows is coming. John 17 verse 1 begins with, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Now, what words had Jesus just spoken? Let's set the scene. Chapter 17. It concludes the four previous chapters, 13, 14, 15, and 16. And in those four chapters, Jesus had just compressed into about four or five hours some of the most challenging words he had ever spoken to his closest friends. It all happened on the Thursday night of the Passover that we just celebrated and, and studied last week. The night before his crucifixion. They had that Passover meal. Then Judas, Iscariot, the betrayer, was dismissed. And then Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, and he continued to teach them all evening. And then they eventually leave the upper room, and they begin their walk to the city of Jerusalem. And as they're walking along, Jesus continues to teach with words full of promises, and some of the words are full of warnings. He tells them that, that he's leaving that he's going to die, that he'll rise again, and that he's going to go back to the Father. He also promises these disciples, he promises them everything that they will ever need to survive to truly live in this present life. All the resources of heaven will be at their disposal through prayer. They will know the truth, and the truth will set them free, because Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit who will bring them the truth. Jesus promises them something everyone today is looking for. Lasting peace, true love, real joy. But, but he's standing on the brink of his own death. He shared that with his disciples. And they're still freaked out about all that. They're living in the moment. Wouldn't you be? They're afraid. They're worried. They're, they're full of doubt. The deeper they go into this night with Jesus, the greater their fears become. Jesus delivers truth about a disciple's reality to soothe those fears, but they're so focused on the here and now. All they can think about is what's ahead, the unknown, the uncertain. So with this living nightmare at the doorstep, we arrive at chapter 17, a prayer that the Son prays to the Father. And what Jesus the Son prays to God the Father is that the Father would fulfill all the promises Jesus has just made to, to the disciples. And that the Father would bring to fulfillment all the work that Jesus has done on the earth. At the beginning of this message, I, I pointed out that in this uh, crisis, we have all been humbled individually and collectively as a society. This virus has has knocked everything and everyone off kilter a little bit. So Jesus brings us to the appropriate response in this prayer. And it's a remarkable resp response because it demonstrates the submission of Jesus Christ. Now remember, he's God. He, he, he is, it is he who made everything that is made. And without him was not anything made that was made. He is God who sustains the entire universe by the very words of his mouth, according to Hebrews chapter 1. He is God who will come and reign one day, and he will, he will establish a, a thousand-year rule, and then in a new recreated heaven and earth, he'll rule forever. 
But here in his human, human incarnation, as the, as the God-man, he, he sets aside his divine prerogatives. And he humble, humbly submits himself to the Father. Lesson learned. Jesus gives us the most magnificent example of the need for prayer and what our proper response in prayer should be. If the Son of God, who controls all things, rules all things, knows all things, who has, who has the power, all power, if he is in a position of depending on God the Father to fulfill promises, how much more are we dependent on God to act and protect in our lives? So all of a sudden, as we read, they're, they're walking along and Jesus begins to pray. And never had the, the disciples seen him like this nor, nor heard him pray like this. It says, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, which was the typical posture for a Jew during prayer. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Now, Jesus lived every hour of his life on a divine, predetermined schedule. And by the way, so do you and so do I. In John chapter 2, verse 4, uh, at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, Jesus answered his mom's appeal for him to save the day by saying to her, my hour has not yet come. Later in John chapter 7, verse 8, when his own half-brothers urged him to go on down to, to Jerusalem to, to gain publicity for himself, he refused to do so because he said his time was not yet fully come. God has a calendar for your life. He knew where you'd be right now. He knew what kind of a, a the device you'd be learning from Jesus' prayer with. He knows exactly what you have gone through over the last five weeks. He knows today's events. He knows the rest of this month's activities. And we will all discover true joy and peace and contentment in our lives in any situation when we know and follow his designs for us. The big question is, is how do we get there? Well, we're going to, discuss, to discover, and we're going to learn here in John chapter 17, that, that prayer is a huge piece of not only just coming to terms with God's calendar, talking it out with Him in prayer, but also prayer is a divine method for trusting, for depending, and then accepting his will for your life. It precipitates you and I going out and doing his will in our communities. Notice Jesus, Jesus calls God his Father. I think that's fascinating. God could have used any kind of human analogy, any, any metaphor known to man, any kind of word picture to describe the relationship of the second person of the Trinity to the first person of the Trinity. And God chose Father and Son. Why? Well, it emphasizes a shared nature, a shared essence. And also in this prayer, we're going to find it reveals an intimate familiarity. Jesus says, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. So the focus is what? Jesus' glory, which he will receive, and that he absolutely deserves, nobody argues with that, no. But that Jesus' glory would shine on, would, would reveal, would give credit to the Father's glory. 
Verse 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh, Jesus is the master, he is the Lord of all, because this is the glory that God the Father gave him. For what reason? Jesus says, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So God gives men and women, like you and I, to Jesus, who in turn has been given the authority to, to grant eternal life. And we receive that eternal life. And that's how it works. Verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So if someone asked, what is eternal life? A simple answer from the very lips of Jesus would be to, to know the true God, to know the, the Son that he sent, Jesus. Emphasis would be on our knowing. And there's a lot more in that word to know than, than just to be aware of or, or just to understand. And we're going to see it revealed as we go through this prayer. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth. By the way, this is why Jesus came. We, we like to, a lot of times, we like to make it about us. He came for us. It's all about us. No, actually he came to glorify the Father, which had eternal consequences for us and a whole lot of other things. And having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. You see, that's how we, how anyone glorifies God. To do his will through the works he's already planned, prepared, and enabled for us to do. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus' true glory, his true nature will soon be revealed for all to see. We serve a living God. We serve the living God. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. His current followers are who he's talking about at this point. As fearful and as worried as they were, they have had the name of God revealed to them. Jesus goes on to say, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Wait a minute. Even Peter who just this night has been told that he'll deny Jesus Christ three times, Jesus the Word, the truth in the flesh, and the others who have been told that they'll run away as soon as the going gets tough. Yes, those guys. Verse 7, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. The source. There it is. God the Father. That's where we go. And that's why prayer is goal number one. Verse 8, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Again, here's the definition of having eternal life. We know that they will soon be fearful in the face of the unknown, and their response will be to, to deny, to hide, to be confused and afraid. But this prayer states that they have received, that they do know the Son, that they do believe that God sent the Son. And that, apparently, is really important for each of us to be clear on in our own life and in our own faith. And it seems to be what Jesus really finds very significant. We live on a divine schedule. And in that divine schedule, each of us has been penciled in 
We've been penciled in to be lights in our world. Lights that reveal the glory of God. Our daily interactions with our spouse, with our kids, family, neighbors, yes, even on Facebook, should demonstrate eternal life in what we say to and what we do for others. But Jesus isn't finished yet. Verse 9, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So his disciples, they're the focus, they're the concern of his prayer at this particular point. Verse 10 says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus talks a lot about unity. And he knows that our unity will be threatened during calamities when they come. So Jesus now prays, verse 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are. They are in the world. And I'm coming to you. So Jesus is saying, since I'm leaving, they have a real special need for protection. Holy Father, he says, keep them in your name, which you have given me. There's no greater name to be protected by. There's no greater name to be associated with, to be called by, than, than to be named by God. We later learn in the epistles of the New Testament that the greatest name is indeed Jesus. And he says that they may be one even as we are one. Wow, I wonder, do we see ourselves as being that close to God, as being that close to each other? In, in that kind of a, an intimate family relationship. Now, now there's something to pray for in this current stay-at-home predicament we find ourselves. Verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Of course, that's Judas Iscariot. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world. Jesus is, is praying in the here and the now. Notice that. That's where you and I pray. In that very particular moment in time, while he's still in the world. And he says that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And what, is, what has always struck me here in, in this verse I just read is Jesus is headed where? He's headed to the cross. And what's his concern? His concern is for his disciples' joy. I think that needs to affect our own prayers. That needs to affect our, our prayers when we come to God. That, that my prayers to God must regard others as better than myself. Verse 14. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. When you have been given the word of God, and you receive it as your own, it's an amazing revelation. Instantly, your, your, your place in this world changes. Once you, by grace, through faith, really get it, the world's perception of you changes and your perception of the world changes, you begin to realize that, that the current order of things on this planet, it's just not right. 
It's not adequate to sustain real living, what, what, what Jesus is calling here real eternal life. The, the, the old song said, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. But now I'm walking my days with an eternal purpose in mind, this, this eternal perspective when I look at the stuff I have, and I view myself and I view others differently. In verse 15, Jesus goes on to say, I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. On this night, Jesus has revealed to Peter that, that Satan, the evil one, had desired to put a beat down on Peter. We need to be reminded for ourselves that this, this constant attack is still going on today, a constant barrage. At times, oh, so, so very subtle. But Satan has a calendar too, and it's for us to fall, to make us stumble. But then Jesus reminds us of an often misplaced reality in verse 16. He says, they, the, the disciples, are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And in verse 17, here comes, here comes a huge prayer request. Sanctify them in the truth. People ask, what, what is truth? Where is the truth? Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Where do we go when life assails us? Where, where do we go to make sense of it all? The Bible. Simple answer. You take in the words of God, and then you work out the will of God through your prayer to God. Our loving, our guarding, our enlightening, our enabling Father who is in heaven. In verse 18 and 19, Jesus concludes this portion uh, of the prayer with this. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Twice, Jesus uses that word, sanctify. Jesus asked the Father. He said, sanctify the disciples in the truth, which is your words, the word of God. Interesting. Sanctify means to set aside for God's use. It means, means to bless for God's glory. It means to make holy for God's will to be done. And then Jesus, after asking, making this request, in the same breath, answers his own request by saying he'll do it. He'll do it for their sake. He'll set himself aside in order to accomplish for them to be set aside. Jesus, who is the Word of God, the truth in the flesh, provides sanctif sanctification for his disciples. And how appropriate for Jesus to model a prayer for you and for, for me. The kind of prayer that, that finds the answer to its own request in its own willingness to be the answer, to be the vehicle that God will then use. We all pray for lots of things to be done, for, for things to be taken care of. How often do we add, and God, use me to do it? Some today say that our prayers are just polite excuses to do nothing. To show concern, but to do nothing 
real about the problem. Just another way to, to blow off really caring by using religious jargon. Jesus' prayer is nothing like that, and neither should our prayers be. So here we have a model of prayer. The last uh, verses of this chapter, chapter 17, Benjamin is going to take us uh, through next Sunday. I'm really looking forward to that. At first it might seem that Jesus didn't even have the need to pray, but he did pray. In fact, we read throughout the Gospels that he prayed throughout his entire life on earth. He prayed daily. I suppose you could say that there was never a time when Jesus wasn't praying, when he, when he wasn't communicating with his Father. The Gospels tell us that he prayed. They tell us that a lot. What the Gospels don't tell us is what he actually said. Oh, maybe, maybe a statement or two here and there, like at the, at the grave of Lazarus. Um, Jesus prayed to the Father, and then he said, Lazarus, come out at Gethsemane in the garden. He prayed to the Father and he said, If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. On the cross, Jesus prayed and he said, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Powerful prayers, yes. But very brief, very rare are the actual words that Jesus prayed. There is the remarkable prayer in Matthew 11.25 where Jesus says to the Father, I praise you. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them unto infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. Paul repeats this later in his letters by, by saying that God uses those who are weak, like you and I, to confound the strong. But that's about as, a, as a, a extensive of a prayer as we have. Just a couple a very few brief verses until we get to John chapter 17. Now, you may be thinking and you may be saying, well, now wait a minute, Pete. What about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6? Our, our Father uh, who is in heaven, holy be your name. What about that? Well, yes, it, it is called in many Bibles the Lord's Prayer. But, it, but it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. It's a prayer that he said, you all, you pray this way. But he did not pray that prayer. He couldn't pray that prayer unless it was uh, edited because the prayer says in part, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses, which of course he did not have any and never needed to ask that. He told us to pray that way. It should really be titled the disciples prayer. It's our prayer. It's, it's a pattern for our prayer life. John 17, that's the real Lord's Prayer. This prayer really looks forward. It looks to what followed Jesus' earthly ministry after his ascension back up into heaven. What followed his earthly ministry was his heavenly ministry. And what is Jesus' heavenly ministry right now? Jesus intercedes he intercedes for his brothers and his sisters at the very throne of God. That's today. Jesus could have prayed silently as he always had on that night as they walked along, but Jesus wasn't silent that night. He prayed openly, and there's every reason to believe that the disciples heard this prayer. 
and it's recorded by the Spirit of God through the Apostle John so that you and I can hear it as well. Why? Because it encourages us by telling us that today Jesus is, is interceding for you and for me through these uncertain, worrisome, yes, and wearisome days. God bless you as you pray in the will of God and then work out that will of God with your family, with your friends, at work, and through this church. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly, amazed that we have access to you 24-7, thankful for the salvation that we enjoy, the eternal life we have through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we come to you in his name. And Lord, we ask some of the same thanks for protection, for your promises to be filled, for your will to be done in our lives, even through turbulent times, uh, uncertain times, that, Lord, we would not only uh, know you, but we would live for you in all we say, in all we do. And we know that unlimited resources are at our, at our disposal. And, Lord, we ask for them, and we ask that we be found faithful in using them for your honor and your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.